Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, we have a great question from one of our listeners who writes in and they ask this question. What does healthy church worship look like? Well, at the outset of this question, I want to be very clear for those who listen or watch. And it's and I want to say this. First off, there's going to be things in this episode where you're like, I wish you would have said more about this. I wish you would have focused more on this aspect of things. And and some of you are going to think, you know what? I, I didn't touch on this particular topic. This is why uh, they, these episodes, to clarify, are only five minutes to about 20 minutes. We're going to be pushing the 20-minute uh, limit here on this episode because there's a lot to say to answer this question well. Uh, one of the most, this topic of church discipline is one of the most uncomfortable topics that any church has to deal with. In a broad sense, the disciplines of a church could refer to any teaching that goes within, such as positive discipline, formative discipline, or even corrective discipline. But when most people today use the term church discipline, they're referring to the process of corrective discipline, even the final stage when somebody is removed from the church. And and it is a process. It is to be a slow, slow process. It's not just, oh, I went to somebody, I told them, and then boom, I went to the next step. It is to be a slow walking with that person person with the goal of reconciliation and the restoration of their fellowship with God. Someone that should undergo church discipline by a church is somebody who, who said they love Jesus but are now harboring obvious, willful, habitual sin that they have not repented of. Another older word to describe the act of removing somebody from a church body is excommunication. Uh, a, a pastor friend of mine recently mentioned a story, and the story was they, they would not ex, the elders did not want to excommunicate this person. All they did was ask the person to find another church. They had already gone with them through the whole process of church discipline, but they had not come to the church. They did not give any response for over a year. And finally, after the person said, no, I, I'm not going to go find a different church, they excommunicated them. I think that shows the posture of what church discipline is about. The goal is not just to throw that person, toss them out, or anything of the like. The goal is, as I'm talking about, it's restoration, it's reconciliation. In fact, just because the concept of church discipline is found in Scripture, instructed by Jesus as well as the apostles, does not mean that it's been handled well. There, there are dozens and dozens of examples of church leaders either treating discipline wrongly or hurtfully or completely ignoring it, at least not publicly, which allows rumors and gossip to run rampant. Because of this issue, we have a real modern-day phenomenon called church hurt, spiritual abuse, due to people being hurt by church leadership or church membership. Church hurt is not always the direct result of mishandling of church discipline, but it is often connected to how churches deal with or choose not to deal with someone's actions. Again, this could be because someone's sin went untreated or they were treated in a very unhealthy, unbiblical way. So what does scripture have to say about healthy or correct church discipline? 
Well, first, it's not easy, but it is necessary. Correcting behavior in general is not a pleasant experience for anybody. This this does not just go for the church. It goes for every type of discipline in our life. As, as the writer of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 12, 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it's painful. It said the point of discipline or being disciplined is to produce a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it, Hebrews 12, 11 says. And so whether a parent is discipling a child or disciplining a child, a coach or a teacher is coming up with a disciplinary plan for their player or student, the church is disciplining a member, or we are disciplining ourselves, the goal is righteousness and peace. Second, church discipline is not discriminatory. Uh, Church discipline does not mean that someone is unloved, unliked, or even unwelcome to attend a worship service or some other function of the church because of who they are or what they've done. In fact, they will hopefully still attend service in order to hear the truth, to wake up, to repent of their sin, and turn to the Lord Jesus. Church discipline also doesn't mean that someone's salvation is removed. That would not be possible because our salvation is never based on an individual's ability to be holy or the church's ability to make them holy. Paul clearly states in Ephesians 2, 8-9 that our salvation comes as a result of our response of faith to God's grace. When he says, this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. Church discipline increases wisdom. Contrary to how we feel about it or what experience we may have had with it, discipline is a good exercise. Receiving correction and discipline is actually a sign of wisdom, according to Scripture. Because one of the common themes of the book of Proverbs is discipline. For example, within the sayings of Solomon, we find that if we love discipline, that will mean we love knowledge, as in Proverbs 12.1. And if we heed correction, we show prudence, according to Proverbs 15.5. And if we listen to discipline, we'll show others the way of life. But if we hate correction, then we are fools, as Proverbs 12.1 says. If we despise wisdom and instruction, then we're foolish, as Proverbs 1.7 says. And if we ignore correction, we'll lead others astray, as Proverbs 10.7 says. So how we view discipline not only affects our lives, but also the people that are watching our lives. Fourth, church discipline reveals the Father's love. That's because when we look at the big picture of the church, when parents discipline their children or when church disciplines our members, we are following the example that God has already set for us when he disciplines his sons and daughters. We see God's, we see God's correction and discipline all throughout the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament. God makes his intentions and motivations clear in Revelation 3.19 that those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. Solomon wrote about God in Proverbs 3.12 that he said that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves as a father, the son he delights in. As the late J. Vernon McGee wrote in Through the Bible Commentary on Matthew 18, it is not God's will that we should have smoother trouble and cover it up. Fifth, church discipline calls for repentance. If we discipline ourselves and we correct our own behaviors, there will be no need for God or others to step in and provide discipline for us. It's one of the main ways that we live out and walk out our faith. In the same way that the Old Testament priests had to confess their own sin before entering the Holy of Holies, lest the righteousness of God result in swift judgment on them, we must examine our own lives. Because if judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged, as 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight 28-31 says. 
This is why Paul the Apostle decided that he would discipline his own life in order to keep him from having to be uh, disciplined by others or at worst disqualified. As he wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. That is convicting and it's challenging. But also, number six, church discipline creates accountability. Jesus lays out a plan for correcting a brother or sister in Christ. In Matthew 18, when he says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, Paul later applies this with some slight modifications to the correction of pastors or elders in 1 Timothy 5.19. While we must be careful in how we accuse church leadership, God's word is clear that no one is above discipline. We must all be held accountable because, as I've already said already, it's good for us. In context, the themes leading up to the passage about church discipline in Matthew 18 are Christian humility, grace, avoiding, and fighting against temptation to sin and reconciliation. In fact, the analogy that Jesus gives immediate before the passage we are dealing with in Matthew 18 is of a shepherd going after one lost sheep that has gone astray because of his care for it. This helps us get in the right frame of mind when needing to discipline somebody. This is about rescuing them from sin and helping them to repent, not excommunication, although it could result in that as we talked about already. We also need to understand that according to Jesus in Matthew 18, when we hold one another accountable and lovingly correct one another Christians' behavior, we are essentially being God's representative in the church and performing a task that invokes or possibly evokes God's presence in a special way. Jesus says this in Matthew 18, 18-20, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or th- two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. Now, why does this matter? Well, church discipline is a hard pill for all of us to swallow. It's even harder for church leaders because of the great responsibility that comes with their authority. And so we need to pray that God will give us more wisdom to learn discipline ourselves better, to accept correction, to be humble, to, to, to discipline, to accept discipline from others, and to be bold or have countercultural courage, as one writer put it, in giving out loving correction of other believers for the goal of righteousness and peace. Now, the first thing that we need to understand when it comes to church discipline is that discipline is a good thing. A lot of the time when we hear the word discipline, it doesn't bring warm, cuddly thoughts, does it, right? It doesn't immediately bring comfort is what I mean. But when we really understand what the word means and we understand why it's so fundamental, we begin to see that discipline is really a beautiful thing. Another thing that a lot of Christians fail to understand is that as members of a church, we are all under discipline. Just like someone who's studying in a certain field or to gain a certain degree, they are studying a discipline. They are training to achieve that degree so that they might enter that discipline. 
as members of the church, when we make our vows as members, we're putting ourselves under the authority and under the discipline of the church. We are saying to the Lord and to God's people, we need accountability. We need authority in our lives. We need to be under men who are under God, who are striving to be faithful and caring for us and shepherding us, teaching us, training us from the word. And so we need to understand that we are under discipline, all of us, under the training of God's people. And one of the things that people used to say all the time, we don't hear it so much anymore, is when they would come and be in worship, they would come and sit under the ministry of the word. And that's a very important way of looking at it. It's a very important way of talking about it, that we are coming and sitting under, not so much under our pastor, but we're sitting under the ministry of the word of God through the pastor. The pastor is merely an instrument of the word. We are placing ourselves under the ministry of the word. And the reality of it is that discipline is part of caring for people's souls. And that fundamentally is why church discipline is most loving. You see, here's how it works. If someone comes to the church, they vow as a Christian coming into the church to love the Lord and follow the Lord, all resting uh, their trust in the Lord and his righteousness. Well, the church wants to help them do that. We want to help them to be faithful to the end, to persevere. And so one of the ways we do that is by shepherding them, teaching them, instructing them. Luther once made the point that we are at the same time saints and sinners. That means that we have remaining sin. That means that we need to continue to repent of our sin and continue to grow in the grace of God by putting it to death. As Romans 6.11 says, to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. That is who we are in Christ. And yet, sometimes when people sin, they're not repentant. Now, most of us, when we sin, I trust, which we do every day of our lives, because as I said, we have indwelling sin, we repent. We see our sin. We see the Lord in his glory as revealed in his word. We're contrite. We're humbled by our sin. We confess our sin. We consecrate ourselves to a new pattern or a new way of life, a new way of thinking, a new way of speaking. And when we sin again, uh, we continue to live a life of repentance and confession. Now, there are times when people sin and they don't repent. And, and sometimes those sins are public. Sometimes those sins are grievous and heinous. And sometimes those sins are such that people dig into their sin. They don't repent. They become hardened over their sin. They become prideful in their sin. Now, that's when the church steps in and they exhort that individual. They tell them how much the Lord loves them and cares for them and how they need to repent of their sin and how they need to come clean, how they need to see their sin and to repent of it. They need to confess their sin, that they have a loving shepherd who's willing to embrace them, that they have a loving shepherd who wants them to repent. The Lord receives those who repent. The Lord welcomes those who repent. And it's only those who do repent and demonstrate that they are true Christians, that they are in Christ. After all, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, as 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says. The scripture is clear that Jesus is our mediator. He's always ready to hear. He's always ready to forgive. But, but sometimes when people are exhorted about their sin and they're not repentant, we have to take the next step. We have to take our time with that step, and we have to strive to care for God's people and care for the souls of God's people. And so the next step is church discipline. After they've been exhorted, after we prayed for them, after we've reached out to them in love, after we've tried to come alongside of them for a, a period of time, wrap our arms around them, and that's not putting a finger in their face, we tried to bring them back. Uh, the next step is to suspend them or even bar them from the Lord's table. 
Now, those of us who know the Bible well know the threats that the Apostle Paul gives for those who would partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, not examining themselves. And so we are caring for their souls because we don't want them to come under judgment. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians, uh, some of you have even died. And so again, it's another step of loving an individual who has not repented in his or her sin, saying, listen, for your own sake, for your own soul, do not partake of the Lord's Supper because of the warning that Paul gives. Now, if they continue in their sin, and they continue to not be repentant, well then sadly, with much grieving, we have to take the next step. Remember, these, I'm not giving a time frame. We're to be slow. We're, we're to be intentional. Uh, and by the way, this is why we need to, why we need a plurality of elders in our local church. We need the insight and the help of other biblically qualified men in this. We have to ultimately get to the end point as we're talking about of excommunication. That means declaring somebody not to be in the church. And that means not just in our local church. It means they're no longer a Christian. It means that they're no longer, from what we can tell, they, they no longer really possess Christ. They're no longer truly in Christ. That's why this process is slow. It's methodical. It's not aiming to, to come to the conclusion they are not a Christian. It's giving them the benefit of the doubt. But at, at a certain point, it becomes obvious after being patient, after walking through the process, after, after aiming for restoration and reconciliation, it might become apparent that they're no longer, from what we can tell, giving any fruit, have any fruit, any evidence of being, having a regenerate heart. And, and furthermore, 1 John 2, uh, 19 says, they went out from among us because they were not of us. Because a true Christian is repentant. A true Christian lives a life of repentance. Well, I've only talked about three aspects of church discipline. Really, the fourth is very significant. And the fourth aspect of church discipline, I've alluded to it, is the hope of church discipline. The goal of church discipline, the very reason that we do it, caring for people's souls, is because we love them and we love the Lord. That's aiming for their restoration. It's seeing them come back in repentance and in faith and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, walking with the Lord, following the Lord, living a life of repentance, living a life of faith, putting their sin to death, living a, a life filled with grace, all for the glory of God. Well, like I mentioned at the outset, there's a lot to say about this. I want to encourage you. You know, if you have a question, please email me. My email is dave at servantsofgrace.org. I do have a lot of questions that have come in, and so it might take some time for your question to be answered. But if you have questions about church discipline or how the church is to function and, and other, other matters, please email me. We, we answer all sorts of questions uh, from, from the Bible, from good theology, and hopefully they're, they're full of practical help for you. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.